Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate strategy into frontline operations. Today, my guest is Michael Argast. He is the founder and CEO of Cobalt. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. He, uh, Cobalt's been incorporated for since 2018, but Michael has been in the telecoms and cybersecurity for more than 20 years. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you for being on. Thanks for having me, Martin. Really looking forward to it. Thank you. So just before the show, uh, Michael set up his blue, his, his blue Yeti. So shout out to Blue Yeti for, for getting <laughs> on the podcast world. Right. Uh, so we were, we were riffing on, uh, like I always do. I always ask my guests, what do you want the title of? And he's like, no, 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 no. I want it at the end. I want it at the end. I want this something different. I was like, okay, <laughs> what's different? What's different from you? And, uh, but ultimately the title of the show today will be, uh, I thought I was out. They just dragged me back in. So. <laughs> With that being said, Michael, what's your story? Tell us, who are you? Who's Cobalt? What do you do? And then we'll spring it on them why you chose that title. Sure. Um, well, I'll start with Cobalt. Uh, so Cobalt is a cybersecurity services firm focused on small and mid-sized tech companies primarily. Uh, as you mentioned, we've been in operations for a little bit over two years, worked with over 100 clients. And um, you know, we're solving security for that small, mid-sized part of the market. Um, it's really been an underdressed underserved portion of the market. And we're, we're out there making a dent. Uh, we're, we're making a really big difference to our customers, which is really what excites me. Um, and we're helping them grow their business by addressing their security programs and requirements. So uh, a little bit about me. I've been in technology basically my whole life. Uh, you know, built my first computer uh, when I was seven years old, a Heathkit, you know, went off to <laughs> engineering school after I graduated high school, flunked out of electrical engineering, came back to Vancouver um, and started working at an ISP. And, you know, the early part of my career was all about connecting businesses to the internet when the internet was a new thing. Um, what so is was, ISP? For some people, they will have a clue what ISP is. Internet service <laughs> provider. So those of us who have gray hair will remember the time of like dial-up modems and all this kind of stuff when like <laughs> Wi-Fi wasn't a thing. Exactly. <laughs> And so, you know, you know, I was doing like, you know, handcrafted HTML web pages back when that was the thing and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, that was kind of the early part of my career, like, you know, uh, sysadmin, network operations, getting businesses connected. I did that for a while and I kind of got bored of telecom because it was just, you know, faster speeds and better connections, but it was kind of the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and right around then was the same time that the bad guys, the criminals oh. really started taking action. Right. And I'm like, I've been doing all this work to get everybody connected to the internet. And now the criminals are showing up. I got to do something about this. And so I got into cybersecurity uh, through a local company here in Vancouver called Active State, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know it, it's a bit of a Phoenix company. It gets acquired and then spins out and gets acquired and then spins out uh, open source languages and stuff like that, which was really interesting to me. But they also had an anti-spam product when spam first started becoming a oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And so I was running my own Linux server in my basement and I was like, ah, the spam thing. I think this, there's, there's a business in this. And so I joined that company and then I was in cybersecurity for like 20 years. And so worked for uh, Active State, got bought by Sophos. Um, and I went and just into the UK and moved back, ran a team of 120 people around the world, um, had my second child. And after running a global team, I didn't want to travel quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife certainly didn't want me to travel as much. A as I common was. thread um, yeah, amongst right. amongst corporate jockeys. Yeah, absolutely. happy wife, happy life. So decided it was it was better to uh, to change jobs. And so I took a local job here with Telus, running a security practice for Western Canada. Um, did that for about five years, and then just through a series of fortunate investments and stock options and stuff like that, was in a position to semi-retire. And so. You know, I was still pretty young. I didn't really want to fully retire. So I did a little bit of consulting on the side. And my little bit of consulting on the side accidentally grew into a lifestyle business, which <laughs> happens sometimes. I like how you said accidentally. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it was almost entirely accidentally. Um, and so I had this little lifestyle business going. And uh, I took a summer off in the summer of 2018, just before okay. I started Cobalt. Um, and my family and I, we went and we traveled to Thailand. And we spent the whole Ooh, summer in Thailand. So two months nice. on the beach, a week in Japan on the way there. Like, you know, lying on the beach, you know, massages every other day, you know, just enjoying <laughs> ourselves. And after two months of that, I came back and I was actually itchy to do a little bit of work. Right? <laughs> like as, as you are, if you sit still for too long, um, you know. And so I went to an old friend of mine, uh, Steve Munford, who was the CEO at Sophos and Active State and is now the CEO at Trulio uh, here locally. Um, and I'm like, hey, do you have any consulting gigs you know about? I want to get do a little bit more work. And, you know, you know, and he's like, you should get a job. And I'm like, I don't want a job. Right? <laughs> no, thanks, man. I, no, I thanks. had a job for 20 years, man. Leave That's me right. alone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Like, don't drag me back in. Anyway, so a couple of weeks later, he introduces me to Boris uh, Wirtz and Pankaj Agarwal, who are my two co-founders. Okay. So Boris and Pankaj had uh, invested in a whole bunch of local technology firms previously. Boris runs version one, which is a local VC. Okay. Both here and in the Valley. Um, he's on the board of Andreessen Horowitz, all this kind of stuff. Pankaj is an incredibly talented serial entrepreneur. And, you know, I, I was like, hey, I could advise you on starting a security startup. They're like, we don't want you to advise us. We want you to be our CEO. Uh, <laughs> so like a, good VCs, like yeah. good VCs. I don't want to do the work. I'll pay you to do the work. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so there was a little bit of back and forth. And, you know, I went to my family and I'm like, so, you know, semi-retired to like startup entrepreneur. And they're like, you know, how often does an opportunity come along to work with these two incredible co-founders who are going to give you a bucket of money to start something? Um, you know, you'd be, you'd be stupid not to take it. And so, you know, with my family support, I dove right in. Um, and, you know, it's... Been, how did you dive in though? Being dragged by the feet or did you dive in with... No, I mean, the, thing, the and, thing about an entrepreneurial journey is... Um, like if you're not a hundred percent in, you're not a hundred percent in, right? That's like right. It's, it requires long nights and hard work and hustle and grinding and doing the the difficult bottle washing that you don't want to do, all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff every single day. And so, you know, when I when I started, it was like um, we're going to get going as fast as we can because you know speed matters, and you know I want to get this off the ground and like you know, we came up with Cobalt as a name and I'm like, I might have to change this name down the road because, you know, I suck at naming and all this kind of (laughs) stuff, but let's go. Right. And, you know, the first year was full of uh, trials and tribulations and, you know, misdirections and problems and stuff like that. But, you know, at the end of the first year in market, we had found like 15 customers and we kind of started to find product market fit. 
Um, so that takes us to the start of 2020. We're okay. like a small team. We had been up to about seven people down to like four or five. Um, and we kind of, you know, we started to figure out a sales motion. It's starting to work, right? And I'm like, great. It's, it started a hockey stick. You know, we go from 15 customers to 20 customers to 25 and then COVID hits, right? And it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if like half my customers are going to tear up their contract mm-hmm. and, you know, we have to like shut down the business or downsize substantially. So I kind of, I, I paused my hiring and all this kind of stuff. And then, so this is like March, March, April, May, the hockey stick continues. And then finally in July, I kind of get the courage to start hiring again and start building up the team. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we actually closed a seed round last year uh, on Halloween. Um, so, and at the end of last year, we had worked with over hundred clients and the team's now 20 people um, plus a whole bunch of uh, kind of virtual team. Um, and, you know, we're working with clients across North America. And one of the greatest things about this is the thing that we do for our clients in security helps unlock their business growth. So I'm on my entrepreneurial journey. I'm figuring things out and struggling and, and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, our customers are these small, mid-sized tech companies, maybe a 50-person health tech shop or a 25-person mm-hmm. fintech shop. And in order for them to grow, in order for them to unlock their growth, they've got to deal with all the security requirements of their enterprise clients and their government yeah. clients. And so we address that for them. And then they go on to grow even faster and have all sorts of success. And so for me, like working my butt off to solve our business challenges, being able to be in a position to really enable my clients' growth is incredibly empowering. And it's a totally different way to think about security as well. Yeah. And so it's been a lot of fun and we're just getting started because I want to make a dent in the small business market and really solve the problem there. So, it, so you know, a lot of people that I interview, they go, oh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've done this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I have been an entrepreneur and an employee and either, or there is, I believe that people always box themselves. Oh, you're an employee. I'd never be good at working for somebody else. That's not true. That's not true. Cause you always have, always have a boss, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you're an entrepreneur and if you think that you don't have a boss as an entrepreneur, you're full of shit and you're not an entrepreneur. You don't know. You're just being selfish and self-centered and conceited. That's my opinion, right? There's a lot of young, I shouldn't say young people. There are people of different ages, even with white hair, who think that, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I do this. I do that. Just because you have a good idea and does mean that you're an entrepreneur. And yeah. it's, it's, so you're, a, I, I want to really peel the onion on that because from what I can hear, you did not have the idea for 20 plus years of starting your own business. You're like, I'm happy. I got a good job. I'm, I'm happy. I do this. I'm happy. I do that. And then all of a sudden the opportunity shows up and you go, well, right. So tell me, is that, was that something that was itching inside? Yeah. I mean, I've always had, I would refer to entrepreneurial drive, but it was applied inside of organizations. Right. So I've always been like, you know, tried to bring entrepreneurial principles and passions to what I do. And that's, you know, an example would be at Sophos working closely with the CEO, they would come to me with problems to solve, right. Mm-hmm. That were business problems at, 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 at global scale. Right. And so, you know, very often I was solving problems that had not been solved before. Like a good example is building a training program from the ground up and getting 60,000 certifications delivered within the first year. Right. Or, you know, there was no sales engineering function when I started running it at, at Sophos Worldwide. And so building that function from the ground up in a way mm-hmm. that can really serve the needs and the growth of the business. And so, you know, I, I very intentionally, my career, despite, 
you know, the technical background and the cybersecurity specific flavor of it, mm-hmm. it's always been about skill development and growth. And I'm a bit of a potion stamp collector in that like, oh, so I've done sales. I want to do some marketing. I've done some products. Yeah, yeah, so I, yeah. Did, I did not accidentally pick up all of these different skills. And those skills helped me when the entrepreneurial opportunity crossed my desk. Um, and so, you know, I always thought that maybe eventually I'd get hired as a CEO for a small firm, not that I'd start something from scratch, <laughs> right? And so starting from something from scratch, that's tough. I have a ton of respect for all the entrepreneurs out there who have the idea and have the chutzpah to go, all right, I'm on my own, right? Because I wasn't on my own. I have my co-founders, right? I'm on my own. I'm bootstrapping this thing and I'm just going and I'm going to go out and try to raise some money and hire my team and all this kind of stuff. And like that first year is hard. Right. And there's a lot of chances of failure. Um, now, actually, now that we're up to, you know, 20 staff plus and we're growing quickly, I'm much more in my comfort zone operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Cause it's like, hey, I've got a team. I know how to lead a team. I know how to build culture. I know how to like delegate responsibilities and I need to know how to, you know, enable people and, you know, motivate them and stuff like that. So, um, you know, this is, this for me is a bit more in my comfort zone. But that first couple of years was like, oh my God. Like, you know, but that being said, I certainly have the bug now. And, uh, you know, um, I can <laughs> it, see it hits, eh? it hits, right? I, you've had the, I call it the UFI and people go, what UFI? I said, yeah. When, when you come up, when you decide, right. That you go, okay. It's the UFI stands for ultimately fuck it. I'm going in. <laughs> I'm going in, right? Yeah. And so, and, and so people laugh. I always say that that's your UFI moment. That's your UFI. What do you mean by that, right? And so, that with that being said, I think it's very important that let's let's pick apart because you're. I appreciate Michael how you are able because cybersecurity is about to compartmentalize, pull things apart, you know, move things away. In your opinion, when you say entrepreneur, what are some key behaviors or mindset that you have to have? Because a lot of people, they use it like leadership or communication. What do you think makes a good entrepreneur? Because um, you I, named a few while you're talking back. Yeah, I think, I think the ultimate thing that leads to entrepreneurial success is an ability to understand what the market needs. Right. And that understanding could come from a variety of different places mm-hmm. and then a, a desire to like to build it. Right. And so we've seen so many entrepreneurs uh, be successful because they had the itch that had to be scratched. So they built the thing and then other people wanted it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a pretty classic pattern. Right. Right. Um, but there's a lot of other people out there who said, hey, I want to be in, I don't know, I want to run a marketing business. And you know, ultimately this, their success was not like building a better product, but listening to the customer as to what they needed and then building what the customer needed and serving those customers really well. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned earlier, this thing about like entrepreneurs don't need to answer to anyone. And I'm like, well, I'm personally, I'm a, a big believer in servant leadership. Right. And so like, you know, I serve my staff, I serve my clients, I serve my investors. And so I think that lens um, in the long run helps to tr- create truly great entrepreneurs. I agree. There's a lot of people who are self-centered in the, in the, I have the best idea in the world. The market needs me. Yeah. And they, they, they come about it the wrong way. They yeah, no, I actually it. like, you know, cybersecurity is a busy space. There's a ton of players. All oh, this yeah. kind of stuff. And, you know, even when I was starting with, with Boris and Pankaj, I'm like, 
So we're going to do this thing to start with. And, you know, it's been done before and it's not that unique and all this kind of stuff. Like I was just like really clear about it. And I'm like, but you know, I, there's, there's a business here and I think this is how we're going to go about it. And, yeah, you know, yeah. and we're going to learn along the way. Right. And we're going to be yeah. flexible, adaptable, and we'll figure it out. And, you know, I always say to my team, it's like, I'm not going to be the source of the best ideas. Right. Um, my job as a leader is to help identify those best ideas and promote them and help them be successful within the business. And those ideas mm -hmm. could be coming from a member of my security operations team. It could be coming from a salesperson. It could be coming from my client. It could be coming from somewhere else, right? I, I don't need to be the source of the ideas. I need to be an idea enablement machine, right? So that when the, when the great ideas surface, then we can get everybody gelled around those ideas and execute those ideas incredibly well, right? So, so I, I think that the... So you got a few of them in here because I think it's it's really key because I got dragged back into it. If we put that back into the middle, it means that you had all the inherent skills to be an entrepreneur. And really, the first one was to have clear direction, right? Here's the gap. Here's even if you go, well, a lot of people are playing in there. There's a lot of competition. You had, and I'll say clear, you had a good idea of where you wanted to go. You said, okay, yep. here's. Here's kind of the box that I, I want to be able to fit in. So that's number one is have a clear understanding of what you're filling. Mm -hmm. And for, uh, for those who are listening or watching, go to the episode with Dominic Rubino about reinventing yourself. Okay. So Dominic is a true serial entrepreneur. He has, he said when he went from, business to business. He said, okay, where's the business gap? How do I want there? And he says, I don't care what product it is. Mm -hmm. I'm getting into online direct to sales, uh, D to C e-learning. That's where I want to be. And so he knew exactly what the hole in the market was and applied a strategy and found cabinet making and construction. Yeah. So talk about specific cabinet making. Yeah. Like when he first targeted talking, he says, did you know that there's different styles of cabinet making? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you got to become like enamored with the problem, right? Like, exactly. He's yeah. like, there's whatever so it is. Exactly. There's so many, there's so many cabinet makers that, that have great products that don't necessarily have the business skills to be able to do that. I want to serve them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Dude. so, so for me, that, 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 Problem space is small, mid-sized business. Cybersecurity, yeah. there's, there's 5,000 different cybersecurity companies out there. That's one of the reasons why naming is such a big problem is because like there's like, every name has been taken, right? So if you want to pick a word and say security, it exists out there as a company. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to try that. I'm going to go on Google. I'm going to say, you know, uh, pick something. Light Mark security. Mark security. security. I'm sure Hunter they're both both exist, right? So <laughs> anyway, um, so... The but the small and mid-sized market has been historically really, really underserved. And Correct. there's a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is, you know, the first spending in cybersecurity was always in the enterprise. And the enterprise yeah, has course. the dollars to spend. And if you're out there trying to build a new widget, right? It's a specialized service, then selling to enterprise makes a lot of sense because yeah. you know, they I gotta find somebody who's willing to pay a million dollars to solve a very specific problem. Right? That's right. And that's gonna bootstrap my business. And so all the attention, energy, and funding has focused up market. And it's left this vacuum in small and mid-sized business. And the reality is that small and mid-sized businesses struggle with cybersecurity every single day for a variety of reasons. 
and especially the the sub segment that we've chosen chose to focus on initially you know in their case in order for them to grow they're serving these larger enterprises so they have to do it right mm-hmm. it's not a choice for them to enable their growth mm-hmm. right and so you know the other nice thing about selecting the part of the market that we have is as an entrepreneur um you can learn so fast in the small and mid-sized market compared to learning an enterprise. If you're selling mm. to enterprise, it's an 18-month sales cycle. Oh, Jesus. Right? Yeah. Right? And so your tuition cost in going through a sales cycle is incredibly long, right? Um, whereas when you're selling to small and mid-sized business, like I'll talk to a customer on Monday and have an order on a Friday, right? Yeah. And, you know, I was talking to a couple of my Ta-da! sales Ta-da! And there's your sales cycle, right? Sales cycle the other day and, and it was like, so my fastest deal yet was literally I got a text from a CEO at 11.30 on a Friday. I hadn't heard from this guy in like a year. And he's like, I need help with a pen test. It's got to be delivered by Monday. Can you help? And I had a signed order within two hours, right? Like, so one of the fantastic things about focusing on small and mid-sized business is you can learn incredibly quickly. And there's a lot of them out there to learn from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if one of them says no, it's okay. There's five more around the corner, right? You just keep working and learning in the market. and so. If I ever do a act two as an entrepreneur, the small mid-sized part of the market is an incredibly people uh, forget. Yeah. They so it, I got CPG clients, right? And so they always go for like the big Walmarts or and I go, just tap your local grocer, right? Tap the the grocers that have two or three locations, right? Mm-hmm. Go to see them and say, Hey, listen, I got a cool product. What yeah, you want to let me in? So their fulfillment, their planification is short, you know, closing a big deal on these massive amounts. And that brings to the second point, which is, which is actually, so we had clear direction. I think the second one is really listening, mm-hmm. right? As, as a servant leader, people say, ah, servant leader, shmervant leader. <laughs> it's, I, I get it. It's, it's a buzzword. It's really about being the chieftain, being, right? And what I mean by that is that you listen to everybody, right? Everybody yeah. comes to the chief and says, hey, Jimmy is like, his goats came to my side of the, you know, and they chewed up my uh, apple tree. And so the chief listens to that. And then, and then he listens to Hubert and Hubert goes, yeah, but, you know, uh, the other guy there, his goats are, uh, her, his apple trees are coming down on my property. Ah, well, that's a different story. Mm. Right. So you're really as the chieftain and I, people always say, so if you listen to the episode with, um, that, uh, oh my goodness, we just talked about it. Uh, the episode that we just talked about in, uh, the title of CEO. So when you're the CEO, people are afraid of the title CEO. Well, when you break down the title of CEO, you have, Officer. So officer is the legal entity who's entitled to speak on behalf of the organization. You sign the dotted line, you're incorporated. Then you have execution. Well, the execution will come back to it because I think you said it before. Is that how do you how do you get shit done? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the entrepreneurial side of okay, let's get that done. But ultimately, the chief is really the final decision, but also the person that that is there to serve to make the final decision. Mm-hmm. So I think that 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 listening component and then learning being a i don't know any true entrepreneur that doesn't is not passionately curious yes and and to i mean if you go to my website 
ergio.ca, ignite curiosity, crystallize thinking, concentrate action. You know, Einstein used to say, I have no special skills. I'm just passionately curious. Yeah. So when you're always asking the, the questions, uh, so Mike, why do you have that problem? Why is it going? And then you ask the question, you really, truly listen and yeah. execute on it. That is serving leadership. Sorry. I just, yeah, no, I just I, wanted I, to build off because that was beautiful what you had said. Yeah, there's a, there's a few things I want to riff off of what you just said. So one of them was, I was doing a sales call with one of my sales reps the other day. And I'd late, normally, I kind of let them lead the call, but I yeah, brought this customer to the table. And I put my discovery slide right up front because that's what I do, right? Like it's the... I want to start asking questions and listening before I start telling my story because, exactly. you know, I can't, I can't serve the customer if I don't know what they need. Right. Yeah. It's really simple. Um, so, you know, I think that kind of perspective of, you know, constantly listening and learning is really important. And I spoke earlier about that. You need to become enamored with a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, who like probably didn't know anything about cabinet making and then decided <laughs> that was the problem you wanted to solve and got really enamored with that particular area. Right. And so I think most people understand that they need to continue to develop their skills in the domain that they're working in, right? right. And across the different aspects of the business, whether it's finance or HR or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that's really struck me in the last 18 months as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. is I need to be constantly investing in myself as mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, right? Because if I'm not sharpening my saw, if I'm not developing my skills, right, then I'm not going to be the best leader that I can be. And because right. of my role in the organization, I have to be the best leader I can be, mm-hmm. right? So- you know, that it's not just learning the domain. It's not just learning how to be the best security person. It's learning how to be the best CEO that I can be um, and constantly investing in that skill. Um, that's also just as equally important, right? And if I'm doing that and that's reflecting down to the rest of the organization, you know, I'm developing a learning culture and a learning culture is going to drive, you know, the best possible outcomes for everybody involved. Yeah. A lot of people forget. I, I love acronyms, right? So you talk about Tim Ferriss, EOS. I love acronyms. And one of the acronyms that is underutilized is LMA. Excuse me. So leadership means that we lead people, right? People say, oh, he's a manager. We met. No, no. You lead people, meaning that you trust first. Yep. That's what a leader is. You're courageous. You talk about Brene Brown, courage, vulnerability, all that stuff. To be able to demonstrate courage, you have to be vulnerable. To be vulnerable, you have to be courageous. Anyways, symbiotic. And then you go plus management, you manage systems. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to have a continuous improvement process of plan, do, track, adjust, okay? So you plan the work, people do the work. Well, then you have to track the work. So the management, that equals accountability. Mm -hmm. So people say, I I want him to be accountable. Well, did you lead that group? Did you lead that person? Did you tell them, this is what I want you to do? Here's the tools that you want. Did you provide clear direction? Did you provide support and logistics? Did you provide open lines of communication? If you didn't do that, how can that person be accountable or vice versa, manage your boss that way, right? So those those are key fundamentals that, like you mentioned, when you put that leadership component together, people tend to not wanting to invest. So if I have to do two things, lead and manage, well, how do I ensure that I'm the best leader that I can be continuously. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. what, uh, what do you practice? What do you practice on a daily basis that you think is a good leadership behavior? That's a good question. Um, probably the thing I am most focused on at this stage of my organization mm-hmm. 
is um, reinforcing the corporate values that I think are going to help us be successful. Right? High five. High five. Right? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like trite and obvious and all this kind of stuff, but, you know, so we're a 20 person company today. Our ambition is not to be a 20 person company tomorrow. It's to be 50, 100, 1,000, right? And so the the cultural, you know, um, stones we put down now are going to be serving us for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how I you know, hire another leader and get them to reinforce the culture and get that cycle of cultural kind of improvement baked in Mm -hmm. is something that just is going to pay off dividends in the long run. And it's one of those things like, you know, you constantly have to be sowing um, in order to reap in the future and you have to invest the energy every single day, whether it's in sales, doing the, you know, the outbound calling and the, you know, building out your network and all this kind of stuff. Or in, you know, marketing, building your lists and maintaining them and curating them and building new content to leadership, you know, reinforcing the cultural imperatives that are going to make you be successful and recognizing when you're off track and tuning those things and stuff like that, um, I think are the things that really have those long-term impacts, right? So, you know, classically, um, you know, the thing they always say about great leadership is it's how your people act when you're not in the room, That's right? right. And so, you know, if I'm building a culture that says, hey, we're service-oriented, we're going to do the right things for our customer, we're responsive, we have great velocity, we're pragmatic, you know, we're continuously improving, all these sorts of things. Um, and I'm, I'm leading by example, I'm reinforcing that in my communications, we're making decisions through that lens. It's much more likely that when my salesperson is having a call with their customer, they're going to be reflecting those values. Correct. My director of customer success is working on a delivery strategy. They're going to be reflecting those values, right? Um, and it's so easy to make a decision that's opportunistic rather than a decision that's based in those values. And you oh. have to be continuously reinforcing those. There's modeling the way is the best thing. Cause a lot of people say, so I get called into companies and they go, Hey, I want you to fix that problem. And mm-hmm. I go, and then I look at them. Yeah. And then I keep looking at them. I says, what's wrong? Well, <laughs> I say, well, what? Well, do you think he's the problem? Well, he's not listening. Have you set clear expectations? Yeah. No. I'm flustered with him. Why are you flustered with him? Do, do you really think that people show up at work to piss you off? No. <laughs> they, they often do, if not 100% of do, they show up at work with best intentions in mind. Absolutely. There are, there are some people that you know, well, you wouldn't be in business if there were people who were <laughs> malicious <laughs> in nature. But yeah. uh, my enemies are not my staff; they're the cyber <laughs> right? It's as simple as that. Exactly. And so I always say, and it's funny because I, I one of the analogies that I use continuously is that people make them laugh. I say, "Do you like pie?" So let let's just play for a sec there, Michael. Do you like pie? Sure. What's your favorite pie? Turkey pot pie. Turkey pot pie. So how important are the ingredients inside the turkey pot pie? Well, I mean, no turkey, no turkey pot pie. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So tell me, when you've had a turkey pot pie with all the right ingredients and a horrible crust. Yeah, it's it's no good. It's no good, right? The pie, people forget that they go, oh, it's a cherry pie. It's an apple pie. It's a turkey pot pie. They forget that the crust is 50 to 60% of the experience. the experience. Yeah. All right. So I say leadership is no different. You don't yeah. think about leadership, but yet it holds 
all the good things in the middle together. Mm-hmm. And so when you think of leadership saying, I have to be all encompassing. Yeah. I have to think about HR. I have to think about this. I have to think, I think I have the people's feelings, the culture. It, it's so, we had a conversation with Uta and, and uh, she said, so she's like, I don't want to be associated with CEO. Okay. I get it. So I said, visualize, because for her, there's, we drove down inside of it. And I said, so what is truly the adverse image that she has as she was talking, right? Of what a CEO is, right? right. And she said, male, pale, and stale. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I got two of those. <laughs> I, got, I got two of those, right? So, and then I started extrapolating and say, okay, when you say that, because mm-hmm. she's, she's not racist. She's not, yeah. it's, it's the vision that she had, right? She had the vision. She's, she's my age, right? So she's a Gen X. So she sees, uh, what's Bart Simpson's boss? Oh, Mr. Oh my goodness. Do you Wait, know the- Homer Simpson's boss? Oh yeah. Homer Simpson's boss. Who's a uh, Mr. Mr. Oh God. He, he, I knew it until you, uh, you brain farted on it as well. Um, it's not Smithers. Smithers is a servant. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Hey, yeah, yeah. It'll come to you. Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns, right? So Mr. Burns, to so all the Mrs. B- Mr. Burns out there, <laughs> uh, right? You you want, you see that evil guy, right? Where, yeah. you know, pale, very colonial, kind of driven. And so w- when you extrapolate what she was saying, she's saying, I want something that's innovative, that's intuitive, that feels all of that. And so. I think that the the beauty of crusts is that not all pies need the same crust. Mm. And so that leadership component of varies varies from place to place and you don't have to have the same leadership style. Right? Yeah. That's um so the other question that I'd like to ask. So when you were having a conversation with your uh with your partner and you're going okay I've been doing this, not too sure what to look forward to. You know, there's promises, but I've never been an entrepreneur officially, right? Mm -hmm. What were some of the concerns or some of the fears that you had? And then the part two of the question will be, what kind of fear setting did you put in place to say, well, if I do this, I don't have to be afraid. If I do this, I don't have. So what were you afraid of initially? or? Not necessarily afraid of cautious discussing, right? Saying what because you're you understand risk out of a yeah. lot of people. You understand risk. I understand. <laughs> so what's in it? What's the risk for my family? What's the risk for so, anyways, I'll let you talk. Yeah, no. Um, so you know, I, I will start with saying that I, I'm coming from a position of a lot of privilege as it relates to this particular endeavor and risk. Um, as I mentioned, I was semi-retired when I went into this. So you know, it's not like I was going to fall back into poverty. Um, yeah. And so, you know, the risk was primarily a risk of failure, reputation, those sorts of things, um, which, I mean, to be honest, is a risk that you have to take on to deal with any endeavor. And so sure. that that wasn't really scary to me. Um, the fact that I had my co-founders as supporters was really encouraging. Like, I wouldn't have had the courage to do it kind of on my own um, okay. in the same way. Um, but maybe I'll share a story. So. 
six, seven months into uh, the business, we were not doing nearly as well as I would have hoped or imagined, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of, and there was a period of time where we lost a couple of key staff and, um, you know, I, you know, it was like darkness in the tunnel. There was no light, right? And, you know, and it was, you know, I had um, one of my co-founders who's um, a real grinder and was really kind of pushing hard. And, you know, looking back, it's like, he was pushing me to make the right decisions that I needed to make at the time to get out of the dark. Right. Mm-hmm. And thank God I had his support and was able to make those decisions as hard as they were um, to get us back on the right track. And so we got, I could, I, you know, in the, in the fall of that year, I could start to see the light, but the fear that I had at that point was this is going to be a grind, right? Like it's going to be a grind for years to get something that's just kind of mediocre. Right. Yeah. And the thing that kind of enabled me to grind through it at that point was, you know, I care about what I'm doing, right? I care. It's like, I am, I am enamored with the problem. I am passionate about serving the clients. I, I'm prepared to grind it out and get to what, you know, we need to do, even if it takes me a couple of three years to, to do that. Mm-hmm. And pretty much as soon as I made that decision and, you know, really put my, my shoulder back to the flywheel and, and really focused on that, um, you know, the light got brighter, faster, right? Like it's one of those things like, you know, reinforcing that commitment of being all in um, helped us get successful to the point that we needed to be, right? And so, you know, every now and then I might get a little bit distracted and then we, you know, stumble a little bit and it's like, nope, I've got to be focused, right? But Mm -hmm. um, that fear of failure is I think something that most entrepreneurs feel, right? Um, And obviously the consequences of failure are quite a bit different for people who don't come from the position of privilege that I have been fortunate to find myself in. Yeah. Um, Some but, people put their houses up, they, they put equity, they, they not yeah. equity, but their, their mortgages. And- yeah. And I, I, I put a bunch of money in and, you know, I had this conversation with my wife. Well, it's like, if this doesn't work out, I'm going back to work. Cause I can't be sitting <laughs> retired anymore. You know, I've put some of our nest egg into this. Right. So, you know, but those are, those are failures worth uh, risks worth taking. Right. And um, you know, no, no, uh, no risk, no reward kind of thing. Um, so if, if it, may I ask, what were some of those hard decisions that you had to make? Um, I mean, the the key one was we were originally building a product. And so I had hired a CTO and a developer and mm. had to make the decision to move away from that, to focus on the services business for the time being. And, um, you know, I that, that CTO was my first hire and he put a lot of time, energy and passion into the product. Um, and we had to kind of cut it off at its knees. And it was a hard decision. Right. Um, you know, because he was uh, a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. He was like hard was worker, hard worker, really dedicated and, you know, and passionate about what we were doing. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the people who are with you on a certain stage of the journey aren't the people that you need with you on the next day of the journey. And that's just how it is. Right. And someday that might be me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping not anytime soon. Right. <laughs> uh, if anybody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, um, you know, it's, it's just the nature of kind of building a business, right? And, um, you know, you do your best to be people-centric and compassionate with the people and you make the difficult decisions and you move forward. So. The, um, I, I, I use a lot of naval analogies as well. So people forget that the ship is more, you know, a lot of people say, you know, company, company is not important and people first and all that. I say, no, people first, profit after, that's for sure. But the company always comes first. Because if you think about the ship, right? No ship, everybody drowns. Yeah. Right. 
So think about that. So no, no company, no, no money, no money, no, no yeah. livelihood. It's as simple and, as that. And some people are better off on other boats, right? Exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, again, back to experience, like this isn't my first rodeo. It's my first entrepreneurial rodeo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Having been in global leadership positions, being directors at Talos and Sophos and stuff like that. Having to lay off people. Having to make decisions at scale as well. Like it's not one person, sometimes it's 10 people, right? And have those difficult decisions, right? And so I don't like having to make those difficult decisions, but you you have to do it at certain times of the business, right? I mean, you're saying, okay, so yeah, either the ship goes down or, you know, we put somebody in the lifeboat and go, hey, you know, see you later. Well, the other thing is, you know, to your point about the boat and the ship and the people and all this kind of stuff is, you know, if you've got your, you know, boat full of sailors and everybody's working hard and three people are slacking off, you know, that poisons the entire crew. Right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. You, know, you got to make those decisions hard and fast. Yeah. And sometimes like you, you think about leadership, you, uh, Captain Phillips, right? The Somalian ship or the ship that, uh, US ship that got by Somalian pirates, right? Where the captain put his life at risk for the benefit of the crew. Yep. Like there, there's a decision, right? I'm, I'm not saying that he understood that the ship would be able to continue without him. And so he- You have to be able to lead from the front, right? So. And damn right. I mean, he was messed up after too, but you, you know. Um, so anyways, so tell me, so far, so good, Right. Yeah, I mean, not with yeah, that. Yeah, there's a high pitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it definitely feels like we're tracking to um, make the dent that we want to make, right? Okay. So it's a long journey ahead, right? You know, uh, you know, I, it's funny. I, I'm sure you interview a lot of entrepreneurs and um, in Vancouver, especially, like you start a business and literally the next minute people are like, what's your exit strategy? Right. <laughs> I mean, I, there's something weird about the culture here. It's like, so who are you going to sell to and when? And is it like two years or three years? And it's like, wait, you know, I want to build something great. I'm not focusing on exiting. Right. And so, um, you know, as an example, I mentioned earlier, we've served, you know, north of a hundred clients so far, you know, we're growing at a good pace. Um, we've got a lot of exciting things going on and ahead of us. And, you know, the thing that I'm most excited about is the impact we're having on our clients, right. The positive mm-hmm. business impact. but the small business market, if you just look at the scale of it, isn't tens of businesses, not hundreds of businesses, it's not thousands of businesses. It's tens of thousands of businesses just in Canada and the United States, right? Yeah. So to make a dent in the problem of cybersecurity in the small, mid-sized market means serving eventually tens of thousands of businesses in North America and around the world, right? And so that's a whole scale of problem above the, the stage we've reached so far. Um, but it's, you know, it's my ambition is to really make a difference in that market. Yeah. The, uh, people forget. So this is, this is, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia is known for its entrepreneurial spirit. I guess there's a lot of kind of like San Francisco, except it is a lot more omni industrial. So there's a lot of mining that happens here. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of forestry. There's a lot of shipping logistics. There's movie sets. Technology is very big. A lot of food, uh, vegan, uh, alternate food. So there's this this small business mentality of coffee shops. And, And I say it's the coffee shop mentality because at the exception of Starbucks, 
there is not a lot of box stores here. Mm. There's not a lot of malls because the malls cannot, the, the geography does not allow it to be massive. So there's a lot of small communities within the area, right? And so that brings an entrepreneurial kind of mindset across geographically, right? So it sets that up. So I always tell people, they go, oh, I want to build a business and I want to sell it. I said, how do you think you're going to sell? How are you going to maximize your, your, the investment, right? And people go, well, I got to build a good business. Okay, number one. So how do you build a good business? Yeah. Okay, well, he says, well, we have to have good sales. Or No, I said, you have to have good projections. So you have to have a hockey stick. You have to demonstrate and be able to rationalize the projections that you're doing. So a good book of sales is number one. Number two is you have to have a solid playbook. So mm -hmm. people won't buy a company that is not well run. The time that, oh, hey, that's a great idea. I'll buy you. And it's long gone. Yeah. And then number three is you have to have an amazing culture to be able to withstand number one and number two. Mm -hmm. They forget that. Yeah. And so if you do one and two well, three is coming. And yeah. then four profits will come. Yeah. So that means that if you're profitable is because you've got a great book of sales, you've got a great people and culture, you've got a great playbook. So your systems are in place to, to be able to grow. So people are attracted by success. Yep. So if you run your business without thinking about what other people are doing and you mm -hmm. do it well, people will show up. Because that's what my grandfather used to tell me all the time. If you chase after money, young man, Y'all never catch it. <laughs> uh, and 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 yeah. he's so right. And he says, I work hard and money will find you. Yeah. And you're, yeah, you're like, I, yeah, I that's ask, true. The, the kind of two questions I most commonly get asked is like, one, what's your exit? Which is like, fortunately, people are not asking that as much as they used to. It's like they got tired of me saying, go away. We're building a business, <laughs> right? Um, but the second one is like, who are your competitors? Right. And as I mentioned, there's like 5,000 different companies in the security space. And all this kind of stuff. Oh, me, I don't talk about my competitors. Right. Um, and it's not that I don't acknowledge that they exist. It's that I'm focused on serving my customers and serving them well. And most people aren't focused on serving those customers. And so there's some greenfield opportunity and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the, the, those, those positive indicators, are you doing the right thing? Um, you know, started showing up for me kind of in the middle of last year where Suddenly, instead of all of my activity being outbound, more and more stuff was coming inbound, right? More and more was like clients that were referring me to new clients or people who had heard what we were doing on the street and like introducing us. You know, we had a great Globe and Mail article that was covered late last year and that was fantastic. And so, you know, we actually, my new director of customer success a, a month or so ago measured our net promoter score, which, you know, most of the mm -hmm. listeners of this podcast will be familiar with. And it was like a 76. And I'm like, I knew Ooh. we were doing well. Because I was seeing the um, symptoms, right? Yeah. I was seeing the, you know, customers referring this to other customers. Now I have a measure, right? It's like, great, <laughs> right? 76 is a good start. You know, how do we A, maintain that and B, make it better, right? Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer in like serve the customers well, and a lot of greatness will come out of that. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you don't need the playbook. It doesn't mean you don't need a sales engine. It doesn't mean that you, you know, you don't do any of other things, but fundamentally, you know, the, you know, kind of. Profits are the applause of the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. You need to do the right thing in order to get the right outcomes. And lots of companies, Enron, et cetera, have tried to take shortcuts, mm -hmm. um, but they, they, the shortcuts don't pay off in the long run, right? And so 
the I think the, one of the more challenging things as an entrepreneur is having the courage to go, I'm planting the seed and it won't pay off for 18 months, but I know it's the right thing to do today. Correct. Right. They, everybody, especially now in this day and age, they all want a quick out, a quick fix. Yep. I mean, it's, it's okay. You know, we saw in the nineties and the two thousands, you know, people rich at the age of 20, like, Oh, I mean, there's Facebook. tons of cryptocurrency millionaires out there, you know, and, and yeah, and good for them. Good yeah. for them. I mean, um, luck is always being prepared for the right opportunity. I, I strongly believe in that. The harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Timing is everything as well. So a lot of entrepreneurs think that because they've made it once, they think, damn, I'm so good. <laughs> and you're like, no, timing was right. That's it. Yep. And so um, with that being said, I think that, you know, I'm always an advocate of prosperity. Mm-hmm. So a profit is required for a business. Profit is required for individuals. I mean, yep. you can't sustain, you can't buy groceries if you don't make money. Yep. You can't get your skills to your kids to school if you don't make money. Yep. You do it in a sustainable way so you can spend time with your kids. So you work from Monday to Friday so that you can have Saturday, Sunday off, right? Yeah. Well, and I will not be prosperous if I cheat my customers. I will exactly. be prosperous if I create prosperity in my customers, right? Correct. Then they will go, oh, you're making me more successful. I will reward you with more business, right? Correct. Or I will reward you by referring you to another client. Right. And so and that and that brings the term prosperity. So when you go profit plus sustainability equals prosperity, mm-hmm. meaning that everybody, you, me, businesses, cultures, countries, the world, we all want to prosper, meaning that we don't want to kill where we're at, but we also want to live where we're at. So yes. w- with that being said, when you have a good balance mindset of being prosperous, you have everything in mind, your client, your employees. You should always treat your employees the same way as you treat your clients. You should not be afraid to fire a client as well. Yep. A lot of people are afraid of that. So when you take that, that global approach, it's, uh, it, it's, it's the mindset that you need to be able to ultimately be successful. In being, and if the opportunity knocks, you go away. I've got a great business. Maybe I don't want to sell it because I'm making $3 million net profit a year. What's wrong with that? Yep. What's wrong in being happy and when working? I mean, I'm going to work till I'm 90. That's what my wife tells me all the time. So uh, that's definitely one of the things I've learned as an entrepreneur is I just like to work. Right. You know, it's something my family has known all along, but uh, you know, they're definitely getting a little bit more used to it now that I've gone from semi-retired to like full-on entrepreneurship. So, uh, it's but I also get- love my family and I, you know, I make a point of spending good quality time with them every day. So. Yeah. It's the get shit done syndrome. That's <laughs> you want to get something done, give it to a busy person, you know, possibly. I, I absolutely, absolutely. So Michael, I always ask leaders are learners, not necessarily readers because there's so many different channels now and, and sure. methodologies. So what's the one thing Maybe during your employee career or transition to entrepreneurship, what's the one piece of reference or the one author or the one person that you go, well, that person made a difference in my life Mm. that clearly I am who I am today because of the book, because of the resources, because of his or her coaching, 
What's that, that one piece of advice or person or book that really helps define who you are today? Yeah, I have a hard time answering it because um, I don't, I, it's not just any one thing. Um, probably the one, you know, people are influenced a lot by things that they encounter when they're younger. And then everything else stacks on top of that, right? Yeah. And so a book that I encountered when I was in my 20s, um, the Seven Habits book, I, a lot of you will know it, right? And, um, you know, it was foundational for me in a lot yeah. of ways. And a lot of the things that I've learned since have built upon, you know, everything from like thinking win-win to sharpening the saw, you know. First things first. First things first, all that kind of stuff. And so the Seven Habits has been, you know, a foundational element for me, but you know, I could speak to, for example, I mentioned earlier, um, Steve Munford, the CEO, um, was uh, an inspirational uh, leader and manager for me through a lot of my career and has always been incredibly supportive. And I would like to be more like him and when I grow up kind of thing, right? So those sorts of things I would definitely speak to. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, it's not one. I am definitely a continual learner and I'm always learning new things. So so what are you learning now? So what's what's on your radar now that you go, this is something that I, I want to improve. Not that necessarily is, is something that you're, uh, is a, is something uh, that's not really to the performance, but what are you looking at improving right now? Uh, well, maybe I'll share instead something that is the most recent um, course that I went through. Sure. I went through a brain optimization course oh. um, that, so in the fall, we had just closed a raise. We we're having a lot of success, um, but I was, still filled with a lot of anxiety. Um, and like a lot of entrepreneurs will share that. Um, mm -hmm. It's not coming from a point of vulnerability there, I think to share something like that. But, um, and, you know, I was finding that it was difficult for me to understand what was the most critical things that I need to focus on every day, mm -hmm. right? And so I went and I took uh, this brain optimization course and it looks at everything. And it was like, it was a great congealer of different ideas that I encountered in all sorts of different places, right? So everything from, diet to sleep to exercise to um, prioritization to time management to visualization and you know the 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 thing that I really kind of got out of that course was you know in order for me to perform the best I can as a CEO I need to make sure that the fundamentals are properly dealt with every single day right and so that's you know my morning routine and you know practicing gratitude and all these sorts of different mm -hmm. things and the more I come back to that, um, the more I get out of a bad day and into a good day. Agreed. Right? Yeah. Agreed. And so, you know, I, that would be the kind of most recent. So, yeah. So but let's I'm, I'm let, continuous, continuously learning on top. So of let's that. put a shout out who, what's the course, who puts the course on? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a serial entrepreneur woman named Portia Asley. Uh, her last name is spelled A-S-L-I. Um, and I, She's changed her domain recently, so um, maybe we can put a link in the show notes and I'll send yeah. them along. Yeah. And so that was a really, really good program. And um, as I said, a lot of ideas I had encountered before, but really wrapped up in a really nice package. And uh, so that's been, that was really valuable. And then I'm like, I'm looking forward. I'm, I'm going to crack the spine on Jim Collins B2.0. I think that's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. A lot of positive things from others on that. You know, I recently read Limitless, which was great. You know, oh, I'm yeah. a big reader. I'm also a big podcast listener, right? And so, you know, those are kind of two things that Jim you know, Quick, yeah, Quick, yeah. So, um, yeah, I like yeah. Jim. He's uh, I, I, I practice his memorization all the time. I like to impress the hell out of people, and they go, "How'd you remember that?" It's yeah. process. It's yeah. all process, right? So, yeah. uh, that's a good trick that I have. So, 
Where, uh, Michael, where can people get a hold of you? Sure. Um, our website is cobalt, K-O-B-A-L-T dot I-O. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Michael Argast, on LinkedIn, Michael Argast, pretty straightforward. Use my own name everywhere. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, no, no artist name. No, no artistry. <laughs> the artist formerly known as Argast. Yeah, no, it's all good. So, <laughs> fabulous. Well, thank you very, very much, uh, Michael, for being on the show today. Uh, so I and and just so we refresh the title because we went in so many different places. <laughs> I, I thought I was it. out. I just got pulled back in. So it's thank you very much for being on the show. It's very kind of you. It's very fun. Thanks very much, Martin. I really appreciate Thank you. the opportunity. So my name is Martin Hunter. I'm the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate strategy into frontline operations. Oh, you know what? I always forget. And my social team is going to kill me, my marketing team. Please like, subscribe. I can't even say it right. Like, subscribe, and, and click the bell or something like that. I have to say <laughs> it. I'll, I'll get in trouble with my marketing team. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. Uh, you guys have a wonderful day. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.